Um, hello everyone. We are. This is our first ever Burnscast. Um, and this very lovely uh, Burns day and night or whatever it is. Um, with me today is supper. Ronnie Young. Burns supper. That's, that's the one. But we're not eating as well. We'll have, we have our haggis behind us. We've got our haggis, but you'll which see is, that later. Which is a uh, reaching room temperature. <laughs> it will <laughs> not be <laughs> well. <laughs> Um, yes, with me today is Ronnie Young. Hello. And we, neither of us, let us stress, are expert on the Bard, but we're going to just talk about what we know and, uh, you know, hopefully no one will get too upset. I find with Burns, <laughs> you know, people do get very upset. It's a bit like, you know, yeah. talking about Justin Bieber to some people. They get very protective. <laughs> we could talk know? about Justin Bieber if you want. But, uh, you know, but well, both of them apparently know less father about illegitimate Justin children, is that right? <laughs> possibly. Or, or possibly allegedly possibly. and all that. Uh-huh. But one wrote all those smart poems and one didn't. That's very true. Yes, and that's what we're here today yeah. is to try and maybe look a little bit at perception of Burns put them into some kind of context um, and, and and just try and separate the man from the poetry and the myths. I think that's that would be a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we were going to try and get um, our friend of the pod, Bodge Oz McGraw, on to talk about Burns, but unfortunately he didn't make it. But he did leave us with uh, a bit of a quote, if I can find it somewhere, basically saying that Burns, he's never really engaged with them because he uh, couldn't get past all the pish. Was that what? Was that I his very word? Term, so. All the other, all the other pish that goes with it. And yeah. I kind of felt that way for uh, for a long time before I actually started reading the poetry. Uh-huh. Was that there was this vaguely private club element about Burns? Mm-hmm. Um, you saw them on TV, the White Heather Club, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and it just was very off-putting. Um, and I think that's changing, but uh, what were your feelings about uh, Robert Burns? Or what they, are your feelings? Have they changed? I think they definitely have changed. Um, the fact is I'm now reading him, I'm now researching him now, now and again. And um, that is, that's quite a difference from, say, I suppose growing up in the, when did I grow up, 70s and 80s and uh, times like that, when, when yeah, I, it did seem slightly... Like an exclusive club, an exclusive uh, party to which you weren't invited, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and you were taught, one, yeah. you were taught a little bit of Burns at school, but, you know, a little bit of knowledge is sometimes a dangerous thing. And I think you were doing, it was Supper, it was The Mouse, it was yeah. Tam O'Shanter, which is a genuinely great poem. Mm-hmm. Um, but no no more than that. So you were given a little bit, and then you did all the, the paraphernalia surrounding the Burns Supper. And it just felt like something that you were told to do which other people did and you weren't involved in it mm-hmm. that was the way I felt about it yeah um, well surprisingly I didn't actually do much Burns at school and, uh, I mean, we did a little bit I think I not a lot though as I say I think there's tends to do Scots language poems in primary school and I think it was probably you know, primary school but I don't think it was secondary school and uh, you would do Burns along with things like the Twa Corbys mm-hmm. you know um, the puddock, so Lopin's brim, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember doing that, but in high school, not not a lot of Burns, if any. Um, in fact, I mean, there's a, a point that was recently made, I think, by uh, various people in the know about Burns, um, that quite often you'll find that high schools in England were teaching Burns to a greater extent. Than, oh, really? 
than in, than in Scotland. Yeah, it's quite and uh, yeah, I could quite believe that. I think that's Murray Pot Murray Pittock's um, point actually fairly recently, um, uh, just discussing sort of the new edition of Burns that's coming out, etc. Uh, with Oxford University Press, of which he's an editor, and uh, just talking about sort of the reception of Burns, and quite often the Scots, you know, it appears that the Scots haven't uh, taught him to the, in schools to the same extent as others. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And he has got worldwide appeal. That's the other thing. Yes, you, you now realise um, that a lot of people think that Burns represents, you know, Tartanry and, and you know a, a uh-huh. certain view of Scotland. And of course, there is that. There's no getting away from that. Mm-hmm. You know, all across the country, people will be putting their kilts on, splicing their haggis and getting hammered in whiskey, if they're lucky. Um, but it, he has absolutely travelled far and wide and is regarded as, mm-hmm. I mean, along with Stevenson, probably the best-known Scottish purveyor of literature. I would guess so, nowadays. You know. Yeah, it's, I mean, we there's, have... There's our old friends a lot of Scott, of course. Of course you know, there is. But, um, yeah, Burns certainly uh, has tried. And, and, and in, in places like Russia, they've actually, uh, you know, they've yeah. really uh, held him to their bosom, their collective bosom, if you like, because uh, they see him as a kind of proto-socialist uh, yes. poet. Yes, uh-huh. no, that's uh, Which is interesting. Um, and then there's a diaspora community, you know, like um, Scots oh, abroad yeah. who've, you know, you know, taken yeah. burns across the globe and held on to that. Oh, well, absolutely. And that's, that's very important. And that, I think, comes from what we were talking about earlier on, the way that it was almost taught or presented mm. was that it was an easy uh, vision of Scotland to kind of, you know, hang your hat on. And I think almost the further away you go, or certainly the, the, the longer you're away, that becomes more enticing than it, it is at home, I think. Yes, yes. In fact, I mean, if you look at some of the 19th century or late 19th century Victorian poetry that's coming from the diaspora community, you often find it's uh, very similar in form to Burns, who's writing verse, of course, nearly a century before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a continuation of that kind oh, of hugely tradition, although it's sort of watered down and sentimental yeah. by this stage, which is understandable, I guess, if you're hundreds and hundreds of thousands away from home, well, yeah. miles away from home, you would, you know, it's want to it's something. The, but, but, you know, it's, the, it's, the, it's Burns that sort of represents Scottishness to these people or Scottish person yeah. and allows them to express or mediate their... I guess that's one of the things that I couldn't get a, a, a hold on when I was younger was that here's all these people, you know, doing this vision of Scotland that uh, was almost longing for a Scotland. It was a Brigadoon vision. It was longing for a Scotland that wasn't here. It was like when Billy Connolly said, you know, folk singers thinking about, you know, oh, I'm far over the seas where they were still here. <laughs> so, you know, he's thinking about. But there was that thing about it. It was a myth. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it said nothing to me about my life as somebody yes. once sung. Yes. Um, but actually, having engaged with the poetry itself, there's a lot that certainly you know, does say uh, something to me about my life and and, and uh, in many, many ways. For instance, just to, to since we're doing Burns, the last uh, stanza in a To A Louse, if I can find it. Or would some power the gift to give us to see ourselves as others see us? It would frame many a blunder free us and foolish notion. What airs and dress and gait would lead us and in devotion. Mm. Now, Yes. That's universal, isn't it? We would all work yeah, the power to see us, you know, no, not the way that. Absolutely. So it's not. It, it, it's universal. It's not personal. You, it, you did not find yourself in church with a louse climbing across your nice bonnet. Not this way. I, I always think if I go near a church these days, Ronnie, you know, after my <laughs> no, thunderbolt home, strike me down. That's quite possible. But it didn't happen to uh, him. And if it no. was going to happen, this was a man who openly <laughs> admits in many of his poems. Yeah. Uh, 
the, the, of uh, yeah. watching the lassies rather than listening to the, the the vicar, which is one of the reasons the church took against them. Well, it's an interesting point, and going back to Burns's reputation, I mean, let's note, let's note that Burns, it's all about Burns's perception, two lives we're talking about here, yes. and he's watching this louse crawl across uh, this young, fine young lady's or a pretentious young lady's bonnet in church and it's about his perception he's basically he's in church but he's not focusing on the sermon he's focusing on the pretty lady at the front and mm-hmm. watching this sort of screen this louse but he, he comes to the end of the poem and he gets this universal sentiment as you say with some pearly gifty gears to see ourselves as our seers mm-hmm. would frame many a blunder free as and foolish notion and actually there's very specific allusion in there to adam smith mm-hmm. great scottish enlightenment thinker who, you know, now we think of as, I suppose, the father of right-wing economics, you know, free market economy, yeah, which, is which, myth, is which is a myth, which is itself a myth, you know. Um, Smith in his own day was known as a moral philosopher, he taught moral philosophy as well as rhetoric and Bill Lett, which is an early mm-hmm. runner, forerunner of literary criticism. Now, Smith um, had written in his Theory of Moral Sentiments, 1759, you know, about sympathy and that moral thought is founded on sympathy. And that um, to regulate one's own actions we need to become the impartial spectator of our, our actions, yeah? We stand outside ourselves and see ourselves as others see us. Burns had read this work and puts it in his, in his poem. Well, and this is really important because this is Robert Burns, you know, off the vernacular of Bible, yeah. the man of the people, but he's, he's quoting Enlightenment philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, very current Enlightenment philosophy. This is a very, yeah. very shrewd, very, very clever a fellow, you know? And this is the, the, again, going back to this idea of the actual man and the myth the myth that he was the heaven-taught ploughman, yes. this was suddenly sent down from God and he had came up with all these wonderful worlds. Yes. Actually, was for the time a really well-educated, uh, well, certainly an educated man, maybe not well-educated, but would you say well-educated? Well, so Walter Scott, I, I believe, had said that Burns had, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, Burns had an education which, you know, in, in terms of the extent of reading, probably wasn't much worse than most gentlemen's sons in Scotland. Yeah. Burns, a young man, along with other people in the locale, um, had a private tutor, John Murdoch, um, and Murdoch had taught Burns and some, I think some other boys, etc., and had exposed Burns to various different sources. Now, Burns talks about it in his letters, he talks about his reading openly and his early reading, and the sort of stuff that influences him, it's really quite broad. It's not just the vernacular revival stuff, as we call it, the Scots language poetry that's revived by Ramsay, and Alan Ramsey then report, and then later Robert Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Later, uh, what we find is Burns is reading, you know, Addison and the Spectator, you know, polite English literature. He's reading sentimental literature. He's reading, um, the, I suppose, lesser known now, William Shenston. Yeah. Uh, Not on uh, my list, but... N- no, no. Um, I might give you a sample there. I've got, I've got a, wee, a wee note for some of his poems earlier on. <laughs> and, he's, you know, he is reading widely. He's read Aussie and he's read... Um, you know, it, it ranges, it, I think he just consumes what he can, yeah. Uh, so this goes back to the myth of him being a heaven-taught plowman, which is the famous phrase from Henry Mackenzie in The Lounger magazine, mm-hmm. December 1786. Yeah, yes, and this is uh, Henry Mackenzie's, the, one of the, he's one of the Edinburgh literati in, the, in Enlightenment Edinburgh, he's mm-hmm. one of the leading critics of the day. And, you know, he's the man that is, you turn to, he's the main arbiter of taste, if you like, at the time. And in his review of the Kamarnik edition, or review of Burns' poetry, he comes up with this phrase, Burns is the heaven-taught ploughman. And, uh, of course, that does suggest, well, heaven-taught is a suggestion of divine inspiration there, yes, but there's also the idea that, well, Burns hasn't been to university like yeah. this. He didn't go to Edinburgh or Glasgow. Yeah. He, he's, he's a ploughman. He's university taught. Uh, 
No, he wasn't a ploughman. I think he was a tenant farmer by that stage, yeah. and that's a difference in status. Yeah, yeah. Too, absolutely. But it's the idea that Burns, you know, this comes naturally, and mm-hmm. that he hasn't read. And Burns himself played up to this. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a way, that's a great selling point. It's a bit like you know Irvin Welsh being the heaven taught junkie. You know, and actually, <laughs> the reality is much more different. It is. Um, it's understandable that he could have hung his hat onto these uh, this thing, but. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's a shame because it's it's sentimentalised Burns, whereas actually what we should be celebrating in a way is someone who has uh, saw the value of education yes. and through that education was able to use it to write this, you know, one of the most amazing bodies of work in yes. Scottish literature. Yes. And then I think at the time it's a very standard uh, way of looking at genius. Um, um, Burns on the publication of the Kilmarnock edition, his first major collection of poems, is automatically seen uh, or immediately seen as a genius by most mm-hmm. critics. And um, I think it's their way for accounting the fact is like there is obviously great skill here. And um, but Burns hasn't had the kind of formal education that other people have. He is just from a, a you know a fairly humble mm-hmm. agricultural background. How do we account for this? So yeah. this term that they use is genius. Yeah. It means you know, but genius is a term of praise. Let's be let's be sure about this. It seems a bit patronising, but it's, it's a term of praise. It's saying oh, no, okay, I, he's not had the same opportunities. He may be rough in some areas, but genius allows for that. You know, because the way of looking at genius at the time was that. Genius may be to, if you're a genius, you're allowed to depart from the standards of taste and propriety that you might find in other mm-hmm. offers. You've got that kind of divine spark which sure. allows you to. Um, we get away from it with stuff that other people wouldn't get away with, you know. Now, is this a case of class, like a class war? Let's say, but you know the idea that we'll, we don't want too many people realizing that their great heroic poet, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know has a fantastic education behind them because then everyone will want one and you know that way it's a dangerous thing we don't want the working classes um, being educated in this way do you think there was a bit of that or am I reading far too much into it? I think um, the problem is if you take it take it in terms of class because in Burns's context it's more like rank and status yes it's, the class system doesn't really develop in some no. classic sense no, I know. working class, middle class, except until the 19th century until yeah. industrialisation. Sure. And that class consciousness is about, you know, mm-hmm. one's perception is your class being different from yeah. others in the classic but form- formulation. See- but sure. in, in Burns' time, what, what we find uh, you know, is that um, it's a system of deference, I guess. You know, you know your place in the in the chain, if you like, yeah. and you know who's better than you and you know who's below you. But it's more complex than saying working class, um, middle class, uh, upper class, yeah, and certainly he is, he is in Edinburgh uh, in 1786, 1787. He's among the good and the great, mm-hmm. you know, Lord Glencairn and the literati of the Enlightenment, etc. Um, but he's uh, is not from that background. But that does not mean we see him that automatically as a, a working class poet. I think it's the way in which he's been read. Yeah, it's like you can find in Burns, you can find you know him speaking for the ordinary man, which is one of the common sent- sentiments that we we find in his poetry. But I do get the feeling that he wasn't just uh, patronised, but often patronised as well. You know that yes, uh, there was a sense in both that, well, senses. Yeah, I, 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 mm-hmm. exactly. He could be. Um, he was allowed into that group, but never actually part of it. Mm-hmm. And as we know, you know, he died at thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. Um, farm which had failed down in uh, it was uh, the Frisia, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he had to become work for the government, which I'm sure stuck in his craw a little bit, or at least perhaps seemed to. 
Um, not a wealthy man. Didn't really. But when you compare him with Scott, for instance, yes. you know the amount of money that was made from writing there and and, and the money Burns made was was it almost seemed they were almost waiting for him to fall in that way. He was their uh-huh. pet poet. I mean, again, yeah. that might be a little bit. Unf- I mean, I may be reading far too much into this, but it's something that I've often. Um, after reading the poetry itself which absolutely it's interesting that the stuff Mm -hmm. which has um, come to the fore is either the food and drink Mm -hmm. the stuff about women yes so there's that ideology of terrible womanizers as well yeah Mm -hmm. there was the um the, 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 the animal stuff twa dogs DMRs and all that there is the supernatural stuff a Tamashanta, they like that. But what isn't is often the political, the the even the stuff which attacks the church yeah, is often yeah. not dealt with by a wider group. And I, I think guess. that's that still is an interesting thing. Well, I guess because um, again, I'm not an expert on this no. th- this time. But it, I, when Burns clubs are first being set up, and I think the first ones in could be Greenock yes. quite early. I think right. it's in like start of the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Um, um, first Burn Supper, I think, that's around about that time, but these mm-hmm. Burn Club are set up fairly early. Um, I could be completely wrong here, mind you, so I could be... <laughs> yeah, so. But um, when the, the time is set up, um, you know, they're dealing with additions which are really editing out the more radical mm-hmm. aspects of Burns. And one yeah. of the main ones being I guess the first it. posthumous edition by James Curry. Yeah. Now, James Curry um, was Scott living in Liverpool, and I think he'd been, uh, he'd been tasked to, to edit a posthumous collection to support Burns' family, his wife and kids. Yeah. yeah. And because as you say, he wasn't a wealthy man, he didn't he yeah. didn't leave a lot of money. So the idea was they'd sell this volume and it would raise money for the family and a new life. But Curry in Curry's editing he didn't include everything. It wasn't a you know a collection. And he did edit out some aspects of Burns' life and I think what we tend to find in these some of these editions um, is that there is a sort of suppression of the more radical or political or controversial aspects. Remember, we're still dealing with France at the time, you know, and radicalism, and uh, you know, um, it's really treated as a very suspect thing in the yes. 19th century, because people associate with the French Revolution and they associate well sort of the problems that are coming from uh, well all of France at the time. Mm-hmm. So now these were huge yeah. shifts in the political scene, certainly in Europe and uh-huh. in America. Um, and Burns knew about them and again he he, he was it wasn't just an education that he never it was a lifelong education Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess it's the radical side which had been I felt had been kept from certainly from me when I was you know ever in contact with Burns and was certainly not on the television yeah you know he never had that and it was I guess I was kind of angry when I realised that that, that Burns had this radical political edge social concerns which uh, had never been, uh, and now are more widely accepted. It's strange because it, I mean, it, he's not the only one. Another famous example was Shelley, and you know, it was mm-hmm. Shelley's sort of political stuff was suppressed by, uh, I guess, the Victorians, mm-hmm. and it was only until, yeah. you know, I, I guess, even into the 20th century when you get things like Red Shelley yeah. coming out um, that, that you actually see that Shelley is really involved um, in in these uh, in the politics today. Yeah. But Burns could some of it, some of his poems could be in a, seen in a similar manner. I guess and it's the rewriting of Burns from that. You know, you you, you present one aspect of him. Yeah. And you suppress another. And the aspect that they tend to, that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that they tend to instill around with us today is they, they tend to emphasise would be Burns' womanizer. Mm-hmm. Again, you said fair enough, I say the same. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. <laughs> and Burns as uh, intemperate as a drinker. He likes yeah. he likes to bay. 
Mm. And, well, you know, the first, some of the first uh, biographies um, which are hurried out after after his uh, death uh, um, would include James Curry's uh, Life, which was appended to the first edition of the posthumous works. Curry was a teetotaler, mm-hmm. so he, d- he didn't really tolerate drink. Yeah. And Burns had this reputation. Then you had other people like Robert Heron, who vaguely knew Burns and hurried out a life of Burns again, suggesting that. George Thompson, with whom he worked on with the music and the songs, yes, that's right. great editor, character sketch of Burns against, as I can recall, suggests again, you know, emphasising these sort of aspects of Burns. Which again goes back to wouldn't the... perhaps accept, you know, that kind of It goes back to the idea of uh, being, it's somehow his poetry coming despite, you know, all of these things, and so it yeah. must be some kind of heaven-sent genius That's other it. than uh, actually having worked hard to, yes. to, uh, have the thing yeah. to do it. And of course it's the same today, isn't it? If you want to try and throw suggestion, you cast aspersions that someone may like a drink too much or may have an eye for the ladies. It's, yeah. not, it's not really changed. Actually, it's I, a big story there, because I mean, we still have that association with genius. It's like, you know, it's those who not, not, not only are naturals, but somehow are flawed as characters, you know. They're tortured and they're driven to excess. I, I think that's actually there in, in Burns's early... Uh, and or, often or you find when you look at it, the people that actually have these images, there's much more, go- again, there's much more going on behind yes. it, you know. Yeah. Mm. And we have a very complex character here, and that's one of the problems yeah. we... You can take different aspects of Burns and you can have the radical Burns, you can have the working class Burns, you can equally have the gentleman's Burns, the very acceptable uh, uh, middle class Burns, the Masonic Burns, and so on and so forth. You can find different things in his poetry, but, you know, I'm I'm sure the man himself is really quite complex. We don't always recognise the complexity There are many, many Burns, and I think going back to what we started talking about at the beginning, that is what was kept away from me. I, I assumed that... Burns was conservative, and not just Burns, but the people who, you know, celebrated Burns Night. It was conservative with a small C, you know. That was my my perception as well. It's, when I mentioned exclusivity, Burns suppers were the things that yeah. one where one wasn't invited. Right. Actually, I'm still not invited. Burns, suppers, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, at least know. you can hold your own, I mean, and you can walk haggis today. You just keep an eye on that. You can have the haggis, Ronnie. That's, that's <laughs> your payment for turning out today. So I'm just bitter, you know, and. It was, well, that will uh, exactly. Um, so let's I mean, talk a little bit more about what. What are your favourites? Of do you have a favourite bung poem or favourites? Yes, quite a few. Um, okay. The ones I've been thinking about recently, um, Parsley Rogues, mm-hmm. um, and I just heard a very, very excellent. Um, oh yes, version of this song by Ian Bruce, who's a Leaf-based singer-songwriter, quite big in the folk scene. He was playing up at Glasgow University on Thursday, and he did a. Version of this. I think it was actually based on a, an older uh, version by Steeler's Wheel, Steel Eye Span, something that starts uh, with steel. Okay. You know, Sydney's folk. I think probably yeah. Steel Eye Span would be my guess. Well, uh, possibly, yes. Um, actually, I think that's. Yeah, makes sense now. Yes. Um, and a very, very good, very, very powerful rendition, and Parcel of Rogues is very interesting. I like it because it's Burns. Burns is sentimental Jacobite, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And it's a poem about union and those who sold Scotland for, uh, well, um, sold Scotland um, or were bribed to hurry union through uh, an act that didn't have popular support at the time. So, um, what force of guile could not subdue through many warlike ages is wrought now by a coward few for hirelings, traitors' wages. The English steel could, we could disdain, secure in valour station. But English gold has been our bane, such a parcel, parcel of rogues in our nation. 
and then he finishes at the end where bought and sold for English gold such a parcel of rogues in our nation and the interesting thing about that I mean, it's not an anti-English poem as no. you know, some people believe it's, um, it's very much pointing the finger towards corrupt elements within um, Scottish society Again, a, I suppose it's a class base to that as well because it's those who are in power, you know, rather than the, the union through. And I think it's really quite powerful stuff. Um, one of my favourites, anyway. Mm-hmm. Other favourites would include uh, Two Lives, which we've already spoken about. Yes, yes. And for all the reasons I've spoken about. Um, a man uh, for all that. You know, Man's a man, a man for all that. It's just tremendous. I think would be my overall favourite. Yeah, I would agree. What, mm-hmm. Where do you stand on the Tree of Liberty controversy? This is a belief that Burns may not have written the Tree of Liberty, which is uh, a tremendous poem. I actually, I don't know if I can even speak to that. Oh, okay. I, 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 mm. Well, you talk it to I mean, I think, I, just, yeah, I think it's him. <laughs> but a lot of people don't for some I, reason. Well, you know, there are there are various bits of verse that I guess people don't really accept in. But because he mm. wasn't, he, he wasn't past at least the songs, taking songs and kind of adding to them, didn't he? I mean, I'm sure that that mm-hmm. happened. Uh, Mm. Latterly, you, you were saying he did songs with, uh, oh God, what was the guy's name? George again? Thompson. George well, Thompson. Well, there's James Thompson um, a, and his collection of musical airs, and also George Thompson, which is a sort of more formal collection. Thompson's quite interesting, though, because Thompson is working with arrangers and composers like, uh, who would it be, Haydn, and also Beethoven. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you actually see examples of where Burns has written the lyrics to a popular air and uh, Beethoven's done the arrangement, a very good arrangement as well, I'm told. Um, so, you know, the two sort of uh, leading figures at the time are, you know, examples of genius, as somebody pointed out last Saturday at the Burns conference and up in up in the, uh, Glasgow University. Mm-hmm. Um, together on the same page is quite a, quite a remarkable thing. Yeah. But anyway, you know, it, it is the, the Burns in his later career after the the Kamanic edition and then the second Edinburgh edition, the sort of enlarged edition of his poems, much of his activity is really turned towards collecting these old songs or adding lyrics to um, to popular old melodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And um, so much of what we know about Burns, or sorry, some of the popular verse are actually meant to be sung. They are actually songs they do have. Oh yes, yeah? and sometimes some surprising ones because Old Lang Syne, for example, Burns had a different melody in mind to the one that we know at New Year. So we get um, up in New Year and get... You and know, you've heard we, both. And what, how does it change the sentiment of the actual song? Um, it's a, it, the, the original song... It, well, I think you were speaking about this earlier. Is, again, Ian Bruce did a, 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 an excellent version of this. And this is recorded on a collection that came out recently with Fred Freeman. Uh, Fred Freeman was involved in sort of all the songs of Burns. And it goes away from the old, um, fairly formal operatic tradition of singing Burns... Um, towards more earthy, natural voices. So Ian's got this really great folk voice and he sings a completely different melody to all Lang Syne. It seems like a more intimate, more personal thing, yeah? It's like the parting that's in it is between two friends. We two have paddled about the barn, I mean, it's in there. But the way in which I suppose the, the other version which possibly comes, it has something to do with causal look, maybe it was just the traditional arrangement. Yeah. Um, the, um, that, we sing it in New Year, and that's more associated with like groups, isn't it? Yeah, it's a sort of like a it's it's collective sociability. It's not this intimate song. So there are these quite radical differences in the yeah. interpretation and the way you can sing sing these songs. I mean, it remains quite. Uh, um, I mean, for a celebratory song, yeah, it's quite downbeat. Even in you know whatever way that you read it, yeah. and it is uh, you know for old times past, it's. Uh, 
it is looking but I mean it's a very Scottish sentiment in a way yes. yeah, you're saying oh well never mind that. don't look forward right. too much just remember what's going on behind us you know well yeah and uh, I just would love to, I would love to hear the other version just to hear how, how that well I would, I would encourage people to check out Ian Bruce his name is and his version of Old Lang Syne just sparsely done with guitar I mean the guitar arrangement is quite contemporary I suppose it owes more to mm-hmm. uh, Bert Jansch than to uh, Kozaluk really oh, it's a sort of modern guitar style that we, we, very recognisable to us because it's when we pick up an acoustic we tend to do these things drone strings and you know you understand these kind yes. of things yes yeah. give us a uh, tune later on but um, yeah I, I would suggest that people check that out Ogline Sign is a good one though I mean it's it, it's, it's I'm, I'm fiddling my things here because I thought I had a, a version of that something about it here someplace sorry it was a version the, the different versions okay you know, we'll yes um, because Auld Lang Syne is Burns' version um, of the lyrics. Now, there's an earlier version, a, couple, a few earlier versions of the poem or, uh, called Auld Lang Syne. Um, one of the first ones, or if not the first one, that's published in, John, uh, uh, sorry, in Watson's Choice Collection of Scots Poems um, is an anonymous version, and I'll quickly read it out. Should all the acquaintance be forgot and never fought upon, the flames of love extinguished and freely passed and gone, is thy kind heart now grown so cold in that loving breast of thine, that now can never, canst never once reflect on old Lang Syne. Now then, Alan Ramsey comes along with his own version. Now, Alan Ramsey, of course, a um, great vernacular writer, after uh, working after Watson, he comes along and does a version of uh, old Lang Syne. Right. Uh, and again, keeps this for the first line. Should all the acquaintance be forgot, though they return with scars, these are the noble hero's lot obtained in glorious wars. Welcome, my Varro, to my breast, thy arms about me twine. And make me once again as blessed as I was Lang Syne. Now, what's happened there is rather pompous neoclassical yeah, thing going sure. on here. Alan Ramsey, early 18th century. Um, not much Scots there, actually, apart from nope. the first line. He preserves that first line, though. And he's turned it to this. And it's a woman speaking to, well, calls him this, this figure Varro. Varro is a, it's a classical illusion. Varro was a, a defeated Roman general. Comes back from the wars and this woman comforts him. Um, and then you get Burns. And what Burns does, he distills it into this universal sentiment. Yeah. Gender neutral speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not in the first two versions, the earlier versions, it's a woman speaking. Mm-hmm. And what he takes is, and he keeps that line, should all the acquaintance be forgot. And then he turns it into this thing, universal sentiment about, you know, parting. You know, people who departed, departed friendship and. That's why we sing it in New Year. It's for those who can't be with us, I guess, you know. It's all about separation. We two have paddled in the barn from morning sun till dine, but seas between us, bread have roared since all lang syne. You know, it's that sort of party. So he turns into something that's more universal rather than these earlier versions, which are very specific. It seems to be a woman speaking to a lover. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that is perhaps the, the true genius of Burns is that he manages to write in a way which nearly everyone can understand his this the sentiment behind it. It's not grand, it's not um, overly complex in terms of illusion. Uh, it's I don't don't want to say he's an everyman because I don't I really don't mean that. But he he, he I see why he appeals so widely yeah. to everyone really. And I think um, if, going back to uh, what Bodjoz McGraw said. Um, I can't get past all the pish. Well, I just hope that people hopefully can get past all the pish because there's just such fantastic poetry to um, waiting for you there to, to enjoy. Uh, and there is absolutely something for everyone. Um, there's you can take 
you were saying that, that Burns is a very complex man a very, yes. and a very complex mythology behind him and mm-hmm. it's very complex poetry and as such they're you know, absolutely something for everyone well I think so we're going to take a wee break there now and uh, so I'm going to say thanks very much to Ronnie and when we come back we're hopefully going to have a chat with uh, Cameron Goodall who's one of the country's foremost uh, Burns performers um, see you in a bit To a louse on seeing one on a lady's bonnet at church. Ha! Where are you gone, ya crowling fairly? Your impudence protects you sairly. I can't say, but ye strunt rarely our gauze and lace. Though faith, I fear ye dine but sparely on sicker place. Ye ugly, creeping, blasted oneer, detested, shunned by son and sinner. How dare you set a fit a pinner, say fine a lady. Go somewhere else and seek your dinner on some poor body. Swift in some beggar's half it squattle, there may ye creep and sprawl and sprattle, with either kindred jumping cattle in shoals and nations. Where home nor bane, ne'er door unsettle your thick plantations. Now hod ye there, you're out of sight, below the fatrals snug and tight. Nay faith ye yet, ye'll no be right till ye've gone it. A vera topmost, towering height, on Mrs. Bonnet. My sooth, right bald ye set your nose out, as plump and grey as ony grows it. O for some rank, mercurial roset, or fell red smedum. I'd gie ye sick a hearty doset. What dress your drodum? I wouldn't have been surprised to spy yon an old wifey's flaming toy, or ablin some bit duddy boy, or wee a wily coat. But Mrs. Fine Lanardi Fy, how dare you do it? Oh, Jenny, then I toss your head and set your beauties up red. You little ken what cursed speed the blast is making. They winks and finger ends I dread are notice taken. Ah, would some power the gift to gie us to see ourselves as others see us? It would frae money a blunder free us and foolish notion. What airs and dress and gait would lay us an e'en devotion. We have on the phone Cameron Goodall. Um, one of, I would say one of our top Burns performers, and uh, I just want you to say, tell us, Cammy, why you got you got into Burns in the first place. Uh, well, my father was a very keen uh, Burns performer. He was never a member of a Burns club or anything of that nature. Uh, he was a police officer, and uh, he was involved heavily in doing uh, Burns suppers for the, the various different police headquarters and what have you around about uh, Glasgow and Strathclyde. And uh, when I heard him, you know, rehearsing and, uh, you know, and mulling over Holy Willis Prayer and Tama Shanta mm-hmm. and uh, the rest of the Haggis, have you always thought that it sounded uh, outstandingly uh, entertaining? Yeah. Uh, so when the, when the opportunity presented it uh, to me when I, was a, when I was a young man joining the army, uh, you know, to, to, to start getting involved, uh, I grasped 
beneficial with both hands, as it were. Uh-huh. And then fairly early on, uh, you know, as I started performing, uh, I, I did something together with my dad, uh, and I began to notice that uh, I could actually stole when I marched on him. Right. <laughs> a wee bit better than him. And I think that kind of powered me, you know, when you're a when you're a young man and you suddenly discover that you can do something that you're that nobody does. Ah, it's like you're beating him a race or something like that. So, uh, I mean, that's where it came for. It came from for me in the first instance. But uh, you know, I mean, as I learned uh, more and more material, uh, you know, I, 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 I guess you could say I became addicted. Yeah. You know, and I, there's hardly a day going by, but I'm not, um, you know, running through some bum song or, or, or poem or whatever. No. Uh, well, we were just talking to Ronnie Young earlier on and just saying that the, not many people are aware of the breadth of poetry that there is from Burns. You know, we know the greatest hits, if you like, but there's so much more there. There is so much more there. And I believe that it's in, you know, it's in performance that it really comes out. To be yeah, honest, I would agree. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I, I can read through, uh, you know, various different criticisms of Burns' work and what have you, and, you know, various different poems are either accepted as being masterpieces or are seen as being, uh, you know, relatively pedestrian pieces. Uh-huh. And some of the joy for me is in looking at these pedestrian pieces and then actually getting them ready for performance, and it's really in getting them ready for performance that you draw out the nuances. And I think that, you know, something like, for instance, uh, one that I worked on relatively uh, relatively recently was uh, his epistle, his verse epistle to the Reverend Thomas Blacklock, the right. poet. And uh, uh, Blacklock had written him a letter uh, to which Burns uh, eventually replied in, in verse himself. And uh, there's a, you know, there's, there's comment in the, in the poem about... Uh, him already having uh, replied to the letter and sent it by way of uh, Robert Heron, who would eventually become his first biographer, as we know. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, Heron uh, leading a little uh, dissolute life himself and allowed this, uh, this reply to go missing. Okay. Now, uh, you know, the truth of that matter, uh, uh, you know, I suppose we'll never know. It could well just be that Burns uh, had been rather tardy in reply, and we know that he wasn't. He wasn't the greatest at keeping up with, with Thomas Blacklock when he came to Edinburgh, and perhaps he, you know, he felt a little ashamed of this and decided to, uh, you know, to fabricate a story. But blame it on his agent. Yes, but there, you know, in actual fact, when you, you know, when the, when the poem is performed, yep. uh, you know, there's, there's a great deal of things that if you were just reading it on the page, you wouldn't notice. Burns very seldom goes in for repetition. Uh, you know, in his poetry or in his song, for that matter. But Blacklock, in uh, his epistle that he's written to Burns, uh, repeats himself twice or three times. Okay. And in the reply, Burns papers it with repetition. Right. And I'm sure it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a gentle joshing. Yeah. Uh, at the, uh, you know, at the, at the Reverend Doctor's expense, you know. Um, but I wouldn't have noticed that. I had never noticed that before. Right. So you think that Burns, uh, it's it's there to be performed and it's almost, you can get into character with him, do you think so? Uh, 
Um, but we, you know, we have to be guarded against. Uh, you know, as you know, you were talking about the greatest hits there. Yeah. For instance, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, after Tamashander, I would say the next most performed piece. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, we have all blank side, and we have the address to Haggis, which are uh, you know almost always done. Yeah. But, um, but the but the next most done piece then after that, I suppose, is Holy Willie's Prayer. Yeah. And the fact that it has been hammed up <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Uh, a, you know, there's a veneer of character which would probably for Holy Willie Fisher that he doesn't really deserve. Burns uh, himself is, uh, you know, is guilty of uh, uh, of um, painting him perhaps blacker than he was. To, you know, in the first instance, um, and then of course, you know, we've, we've run roughshod over the poor fellow for about two hundred. Well, he doesn't stand a chance. But, yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is that Willie Fisher was only forty-eight years old when you know when Burns wrote the um, the poem. Uh, he wasn't a, a, a bachelor, as Burns uh, wrote in the, in, the, in Riddle's manuscript. He was, in actual fact, uh, married. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, a lassie called Jean Breckenridge, I think, if the uh, mind uh, serves me right. right. And they farmed uh, jointly a farm uh, not far outside of Auckland. And Mondgarswood, you know, fairly close to, uh, to Moscow, where, where Burns was, yep. close with Gilbert. So, you know, knowing these things, you know, you're, you know, you perhaps have a, a you know a, a better chance of sight. You know. Humanizing the characters. Yeah, the, you know, the more that we know about the characters, the more we can, the more we can, we can bring to the table. As far as that's it all leads into the performance, I suppose. When you know, you know uh, a bit more about the the situation. So how have you seen things change over the years as you've been doing it? I mean, is Burns more popular today, or is there a, a, a wider knowledge of, of of his work? Would you say? Do you feel? Do you, uh, you know how things have 
when sure. that entry was first written. Yeah. I mean, do you think that now Burn Suppers, my worry is that it's become another commercialised uh, day. You know, you've got Valentine's Day, you've got yeah. whatever, and it's become a little bit formulaic. You know, everyone knows what they should be doing and when it's done. When actually the real fun is to, you know, play with it and, and, and um, find out your own favourite poems and rather than just sticking to the same address and all of that kind of thing. Yes, you're absolutely correct. You know, I was, uh, I was actually I was having a conversation. Uh, I was at the Edinburgh Burns Club uh, on Thursday mm-hmm. at the Royal Burgess uh, uh, Golfing Society in Edinburgh. Right. And uh, I was having a conversation with Bill Dawson, who's the, the editor for the Burns Chronicle. Okay. And he was telling me how uh, across the States he was asked a question by an individual who pulled him aside and he said, now, uh, I wonder if I can ask you a piece of advice here. Uh, because we're not sure about the formality of the thing. Should the salt bearers go before the whiskey or after it? And <laughs> made the haggis in, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, you know these things become such a pastiche almost. Yes. And we, and we see these things coming back across the Scotland. You know, I've seen individuals waving about bottles of whiskey as the you know as the haggis is brought in, and you just think to yourself. It's almost part to me. Yeah. I think that's what... Immortal memory at the majority of Burns Suppers, you know, focuses on a life which, in point of fact, is rather unremarkable. Mm Mm-hmm. The life that Burns led is the least remarkable thing about the individual. Yeah, I would agree. You know, that we're we're memorialising. And yet, you know, we we go into all... The amount of times I've heard the, you know, the the list of things for which... uh, um, Betty Davidson uh, had a, a vast store of knowledge, you know, the elf candles and company and all that nonsense. <laughs> uh, you know, and it seems that they, you know, they start at the start and then they kind of wither out, they forget the kind of the interesting part of his life almost, you know. I, I would agree completely. It, I think. It astounds I, me. I think it's it, the, the kind of cult of Burns the man and the life has come to overshadow the actual poetry, and I think that's a real shame. Absolutely. But I mean, clearly this was happening even in the middle of the 20th century, yeah. you know. When That's right. And I think it's, you know, it's something that's, you know, that's still alive today. But Hugh McDermott himself, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, he's sometimes misunderstood as having, uh, you know, a a, a dislike for Burns. Yeah, I would agree with you, yeah. You know, could be further from the truth. That's right. Uh, Um, You know, what what he despised was, uh, you know, the the cartoon character almost that we had turned Burns into. And while he's a different cartoon character uh, in the 21st century from what he was in the middle of the 20th century, nonetheless, he's still a cartoon character. Yeah, I mean, I think he... You know, I feel as if uh, Scots have turned Burns into the icon that they want him to be, uh, you know, some sort of attainable role model. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, it does a a vast disservice to a man who gave us, uh, you know... uh, such a breadth of, of music and uh, yeah, I mean this is another thing that we almost forget the fact that Burns saved our national melodies yeah. virtually single handedly I mean I know that you know that the project was already underway uh, with James Johnson uh, before you know before Burns took the helm but then uh, you know he turned it into a completely different beast 
I think yeah, what no, just just the saving of the melodies alone yeah. would be enough to make you know to make him a you know a worthy character that we ought to remember. And yet, it's something that we don't even think about. That's right. That's right. I think what uh, McDermott was trying to do is say, look, this reclaim burns in a history and a legacy of Scottish poetry that came right up today, including himself, of course, that's what he was doing. But that's why he suggested going back to Dunbar. It wasn't to forget Burns, it was to say, take your focus off this man, because there is a lot more. Absolutely. Including the poetry, and not just the man himself. Yes, yes indeed. Well, Cammy, really appreciate that. I know you're a very, very busy man at the moment. <laughs> I'm just about to, uh, to go into uh, uh, a function in Kelty, and then I have to get up where I'm at the Athel Arms tonight. So, well, busy indeed. OK, I'll speak to you soon, hopefully. Well, folks, that's the 12th Scots We Hay podcast, our inaugural Burns cast. And uh, I've really enjoyed listening to the folk. I hope you enjoy listening to them as well. And it's not over yet. Um, I want to say thanks to Cami for coming on the phone. Thanks to Ronnie Young for giving us, you know, at the beginning he says, oh, I'm not a Burns expert, then he goes to talk like that, fantastic. Uh, I'm going to raise a glass with Ian to Rabbit, and we're going to leave you with one of the Burns, one of the Burns, one of Burns' best known songs, Green Grow the Rashes and it's going to be sung by a friend of Scots with Hay, and in my opinion, one of the best voices around, Jennifer Scammell. There's not but care on every hand in every hour that passes, oh, what signifies the life of man, and twirl for the lassies, oh, green grow the rushes, oh, green grow the rushes, oh, the sweetest hours that e'er I spend are spent among the lassies, oh. The wally race may riches chase, and riches still may fly them more. And though at last they catch them fast, their hearts can never enjoy them more. Give me a canny team, my arms about my dearie, oh, and wally cares and wally men may Green grow the rushes, oh, green grow the rushes, oh, the sweetest stirs that e'er I spend are spent among the lassies, oh. For you say this, you sneer at this, you're not but senseless asses, oh, the wisest man, the waller so he dearly loved the lassies, oh. All nature swears the lovely tears, her noblest work she classes, oh. Apprentice hand she tried on man, and then she made the lassies, oh. Green grow the rushes, oh, green grow 